Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be the teaching pastor here at One Church, and I'm just excited that you are here. Shout out to everyone watching us in the overflow room or online or streaming us or anyone watching us later on in the week through podcast or at OneChurch.tv. Uh, just again, thank you so much that you chose to connect with us today. I'm so, that, that, that bump gets me kind of excited about Easter. I, this morning I said I wish I could actually just teach the Easter message uh, and get jumping into that, but we're really excited about that How to Be a Hero series. Start inviting people. Uh, it's going to be a great, great series, and we're just pumped about it. Glad that you're here, though. You've, we've made it this far. We've made it through the book of Malachi. So you made it through an Old Testament book, and you didn't die. So, you're, you know, that's a good thing, right? We've, we've been chapter by chapter through the book of Malachi in the month of March, and we're going to wrap that up. If this is your first time, again, you're coming in at the end of a series. So you can go to onechurch.tv. I encourage you to catch up on those past messages. What we're, what we're learning and kind of the big theme of this whole series is that many of us are willing to tolerate just one little speck of dirt in our milkshake. We're willing to, to tolerate one little speck of something that doesn't belong there in the thing that we're consuming. And so basically, we've become content to be a people who are 99% pure. And we found out in understanding what the book of Malachi is about, that that's the very notion he challenged. And it's what God's challenging in us today. In fact, our first big idea of this series is that because of everything that God has given for us, the least we get to do is go all in for him. We've talked about this idea of being a hypocrite, a, a bad actor, living a life one way, saying that we're doing something else. And we talked about the reasons for that hypocrisy and how can we keep it real and keep it simple and, and run towards accountability. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about our money, Malachi chapter 3. And we really learned that the way we handle our money often tells a lot about what we view about God. And so we decided we want to make godly choices when it comes to our money. We want to worship God with our stuff. This week, we're going to be talking about hope, and we're going to be in Malachi chapter 4 as we wrap this up, and we'll get there in just a minute, Malachi chapter 4. Now, some people talk a lot. Do you know anyone that talks a lot? Of course you do, because you know me, and I can go on and on and on and on and on, right? But only if it's something that I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm a little bit socially awkward in, in large groups. I keep to myself, reserved. Shout out to all my introvert, my introvert tribe out there. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, we, we can kind of close in. I hear that golf clap from the introverts, right? We, we, we keep to ourselves, you know. But, but if it's a topic that I'm passionate about, watch out, right? I hope you pack the lunch because I'm going to talk your ear off. Don't, don't be the person that asks me, hey, what would you think about that UFC fight? First, I'm going to size you up and down. If you're wearing a tap-out shirt, I'm just going to ignore you because you obviously don't know anything about fighting, so I'm just not going to talk to you at all. If you have some cauliflower ear, though, I'm going to, hey, man, let's talk about it, and we're going to talk about the left hooks and the moves, and I'll turn into Joe Rogan and spend four hours breaking down deep anal- analysis of that, that martial arts fight because it's something I'm passionate about, I love it. If you want to talk about business growth, you want to talk about organizational design, uh, statistics, and all the things that I kind of nerd out about, man, just bring a pillow, right? Because we're going to be here all night talking about that stuff. It fires me up. Or you want to talk about Jesus. You want to talk about the Bible. You want to talk about theology. Uh, Again, I'll size you up a little bit, but then we, we can have a deep conversation and go a long, long time about that stuff. Thank God that he called me to be a preacher and a teacher, so I get to do this uh, with my life, whether teaching in a classroom or teaching in a church or teaching in a hallway. I get to give my whole life to running my mouth, and that's a good thing. I'm glad that God has me doing exactly what I want to do. But here's a true story. I didn't always used to be this way. When I was a toddler, between two to four years old, uh, little kid, you might see on the screen a picture of me and my, my brother Eddie. Uh, he's the, the one holding me. 
Uh, so he and I have trained jujitsu before, and so just know that's the last time he ever got me in that position where he had my back. <laughs> it doesn't go down like that anymore. Um, but either way, he, he's four years older than me, so I'm, I think I'm about two in this picture, maybe three in this picture. Um, and my mom was concerned because I was very quiet. I was very reserved. I was way too serious to be a three-year-old, you know, always somber, always had a scowl on my face, you know, kind of like you see me sometimes here in the hallway. That's just my thinking face. Relax. Uh, and I'm not thinking about you, so relax again, right? That's just the way my face looks when my brain goes some that way. We're in church, so I won't tell you what we call that face when it's usually sitting on somebody else. But uh, by your laughter, I know you, you're picking up what I'm putting down. So... I would have that face all the time and just be really stoic and quiet. My mom would get concerned because even when I started saying words and putting together sentences, um, I was just a little slow and and a little delayed. And this was before it was easier to just take your child to a speech therapist and see is there something really off. Um, So I was just quiet. And my mom was concerned. And, and, and compared to my brother, I really was de- slow in speaking because he was born talking. He's talking right now. Y'all just can't hear him. You know? But in his head, he's having conversations. And he's a, he's a very talkative dude. I'm not that guy. Um, but when I was 10 years old, my mom realized why I was so quiet from ages 2 to 4. It's because I was holding it on in. Because when I turned 10 years old, I turned into Johnny Cochran, the, lo- the lawyer, running my mouth, you know, alliteration, always arguing, always instigating, always stirring stuff up, always with the perfectly timed, inappropriate joke. Like, that was me from 10 years old to this very day. Just, I won't shut up if I don't have to. I was saving it all up, right? Talking too much. We all know someone who talks too much. And be honest, how do you feel about people who talk too much? They annoy you. Don't look at me all brand new and all holy like, you know, you know good and well. You've heard someone talking and said, I wish they would just shut up. I hope you haven't heard said that when I was preaching. Uh, but, you know, we got a bunch of preachers here at one church, so I'm good with what you say about them, but just don't say that about me. Uh, I'm playing. Relax, y'all. It's Sunday. We're excited, right? So we know it's annoying when people go on and on and on and on, and they drone. Some of us get so annoyed when that one person in our life just won't be quiet. But what if they did? What if they stopped talking? It's NCAA tournament time right now. The game is always on. And men, women, if you're basketball fans, you're a sports fan, we know when the game is on, the only thing, only conversation that's acceptable is what? Conversation about the game. If you're not going to talk about the game, be quiet. Go somewhere. Leave me alone. But what if they did? Husband, what if the last words you heard from your wife were the things she was asking you to do while you were trying to focus on the game? And all you were thinking is, oh, shut up, shut up, be quiet, be quiet. But what if she really did? Mom, what if that whole mom, 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 you know, your, your kid's asking you for nothing, but they're just like saying your name. Mom, mom, mom. What if that was the last time? What if the last mom was the last word you heard from someone you want to communicate with? Changes how we feel about silence, right? What if the people we want to be quiet, the people we want to talk to, actually stopped talking to us? They actually became quiet. I don't know about you, but I would feel terribly hopeless if I lived in a world like that with silence. What if, what if we didn't hear? So here's what happens in the Bible. God had spoken to his people for thousands of years over and over and over. He talked to them through burning bushes. He talked to them through prophets. He talked to them through thunder. And he talked to them through earthquakes and mountain shaking. And then there were times where he showed up himself to deliver a message and give a word. And time and time again, the people either ignored him outright or they listened to him just long enough until he was quiet again. And then they went back to doing their own thing. So what we see as we encounter Malachi chapter 4 is eventually 
God shuts up. And for 400 years, he stops talking to his people. How hopeless would you feel in a world of silence? I'm not talking about a person who has the, doesn't have the ability to hear. That's different. I'm, I'm talking about what if you really wanted to communicate with someone and talk with them and you couldn't at all. You could scream, you could yell, you could cry out. I'm pretty sure if you're like me, you would feel hopeless. And here's the reality of the times we live in. There are people we pass by every single day who feel like no one cares about them. They feel like no one hears them. They feel like no one is willing to intervene on their behalf and help them. They feel like no one can save them. You might be here this morning, and this week, this month, you have blown it royally in your life. I mean, you have messed it up big time, and you are in a position where you feel absolutely hopeless. It looks like there is no hope for you. Here's our big idea. Even when we can't, it seems like we can't hear God or we can't feel God, We are never without hope because God never leaves us hopeless. God never, ever leaves us hopeless. So we're going to look in Malachi chapter 4. We're going to find three truths that really come out of this last chapter of Malachi that I think just reinforce that truth that God never leaves us hopeless. And I think it gives us uh, a way forward of of how to process that in our own lives. So let's jump into the scripture. Malachi chapter 4, going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, the Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming. Now let me pause right there and apologize for the fourth week. Uh, I know you come to get encouraged and fired up, but Malachi has no chill, right? He's not here to be your buddy and tell you that everything is going to be great. Like, he comes out gunslinging every single time. So why would he do anything different in chapter 4, right? Judgment is coming, and it's burning like a furnace. So there you go. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, right? Aren't you glad that we don't leave with that word? We don't leave on that. Let's keep reading. It says, the Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On that day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So the first truth we really get out of that text is that judgment is coming, but we have hope. Judgment is coming, but we have hope. It's not very politically correct to talk about the judgment of God that's coming, but it's a reality and it's a fact. And so we need to know how to process that. We need to understand what that means. So the day of the Lord, it's a concept we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, And simply put, this is judgment day. Like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, right? You've seen? No, it's not like that. But, but it's, it's Judgment Day. This is, this is the day when God once and for all makes right everything that was made wrong. Now, he made right things on the cross. But this is the day where he shows up and once and for all, he settles all the accounts. And it's a big deal day because it's a big deal to stand before the creator of heaven and earth and have to give account for everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. It's a big deal. But here's the good news. We, say we, we who are in Christ, that's us in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, we have hope on that day because of the grace of God and the gift of salvation. When we stand before God on that day, guess what he's going to see? Forgiven. He's going to see Jesus. He's going to see those of us who are in Christ as being bought, as being redeemed, as being justified by what Christ did for us. And so for those of us who are in Christ, the day of judgment's a day of reverence, but we aren't without hope. We don't fear that day because we know we are in Christ. But not everyone 
is in Christ. Not everyone is in that boat. So here's a confession. I really struggle when I hear news about people getting what they deserve. You know what I'm talking about? You see on the news, some guy gets busted and in your heart, just for a split second, maybe you kind of leap for joy. Like I'm glad they got what they deserved. Y'all are a bunch of holy people. I know y'all never do this. So just me and my brother, that's what we do, right? When, when someone acts, no, we know we do it. We see a criminal, a, a, a bad person get a sentence. And in our heart, we say, yeah, in our heart, we say, yeah. And we kind of leap for joy. A politician gets in trouble and we're so glad that they're in trouble, that they get exposed and that they get caught up in that. I, was, I spent the day in court last week at the juvenile court seeing a bunch of different trials, and it was heartbreaking to see these young men who've just shipwrecked their lives in so many ways. But when you listen to the rap sheets some of these folks have and the things they've done, and you see the victims of their crimes, I'm not going to lie to you. There were parts of me where I was like, yeah, get them. Like the judges hand out sentence, and there's that little bit of my soul that says, yeah, good sentence. And every time I do that, this guy named God, the Holy Spirit kind of punches me right in the stomach and says, fool, what's wrong with you? That's not really what, that's what the Holy Spirit sounds like to me. Fool, he sounds like Mr. T. Fool, what's wrong with you? Don't you remember that time you didn't get what you deserved? Don't you remember the mercy and the grace that I've given you, Carlo, you crazy, over and over? And so I can't hang out there celebrating the judgment of others because I'm instantly brought to my knees in my spirit when I remember, oh God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for getting me out of that jam. Scripture floods my mind over and over again how God doesn't rejoice over my fallings and failings, but he actually picks me up and it's what he wants me to do with other people. Proverbs 24 says it like this. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with who? With you. And will turn his way, his anger away from them. So if God turns his anger against, away from the wicked, who is he turning his anger towards? Ouch, to me. It's kind of like, you know, maybe this didn't happen to you, but in my house, one of us, usually my brother Eddie, would be getting whooped, getting a spanking, right, back in the day. And I would be the fool that would laugh a little bit too loud. So my father would turn his wrath away from Eddie and towards me and say, oh, you want to join this party, right? You got something to laugh about, right? You know, and and you end up getting caught up in that too. We don't want that to be us as the people of God. We don't want to be so quick to throw those who are out of Christ and say, yes, get it. Now, listen, I'm all for God's justice. And obviously I know that there's a penalty to pay when you do the wrong thing. I'm not sitting here at all saying, let everyone who's done bad things off. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we have to have this moment and understanding every day, all of us are going to stand before God. And I want as many people as possible to be on the we side when God's going to look at them and see Jesus versus seeing judgment. So we have to be careful. We have to be guarded about how we view that. The reality is that those people who have failed and blown it, and that at one time was you and I, we're going to get our consequences. We're going to pay those consequences, and, but we have hope in Christ. We're going to ha- we have hope in Christ. Things can eventually get better for those, even those who are far from Christ, if they would just turn to him. The wage of sin is death, we know that, but too many times we ignore the judgment of God because we think we're righteous on our own. So it's a very self-righteous position to look at those who are being tried and who are stumbling and say, ha, you're getting what you're, you deserve. It's a very self-righteous position to have that attitude. Instead, we got to remember the only thing that saves us from this judgment that's coming, this day of the Lord that Malachi is talking about, is complete surrender to Jesus. It's the only thing that saves us. Judgment is coming, but we have hope in Jesus. What does that have to do with 
Malachi? What does it have to do with the book? Well, let's, let's read verse 1 and 2 again and talk about it. It says, The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. What is, what is this judgment is coming, but we have hope. What does that have to do with Malachi? Well, remember, if you remember back to chapter one, and you can listen again to the past messages online if you weren't here for that. But part of the big argument, one of the big beefs the people of Israel had against God was they felt like he was letting the wicked prosper while they kind of suffered and stumbled. So one of their big complaints is, God, when are you going to judge the wicked? It seems like evil is winning. It seems like evil is reigning. And God, that's not fair. And God, that's not right. And so God sends Malachi. And in Malachi's prophecy here, in that second verse, he says, listen, you who fear my name, the son of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. What's awesome about this Old Testament prophecy is so much of this was fulfilled in their day. And so much of this was looking forward to who was to come. And, and we know now that this son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings, that's Jesus. And so it's Malachi saying, listen, a day is going to come where you are going to be saved. But, but in my life, when I hear about all the wickedness in the world, you turn on the news and you see evil and drama and corruption, and it just seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. Even locally in Clarksville, we see about people killing each other and teenagers robbing people and people getting hurt. And it's just, in all honesty, it just seems like, man, sometimes it feels like evil is winning. It feels like I'm losing. Maybe in your own life, and money problems are messing up, even though you're doing the right thing. Relational stress, even though you're doing the right thing. And it can just seem like maybe that kind of evil is winning in your life. When I see churches split and divide over silly things, people who don't want to connect to the local church anymore because someone didn't say hi to them the third Sunday of the month and they get bent out of shape. And I'm sad that no one said hi to you, but we're going to, it's so sad that we want to resort to that and disconnect from God. And just as a pastor, sometimes it can feel like, man, God, throw us a bone. Help us out. Yet God, he knows when he's giving this word through Malachi, this is it. This is the last thing I'm going to say in this medium to these people. He knows that this is it. For 400 years, he doesn't say anything else. And every word counts, especially in Malachi chapter 4. So it's important to listen. It's like God is telling them, hey, I'm going to make things right. Would you relax? Would you relax? I'm going to make things right. But they still felt like they were losing. They felt like God was losing. So hold that thought. In 1974, Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman in a famous fight called the Rumble in the Jungle. Have you heard about it? Great legendary boxing match. During that fight, Muhammad Ali uh, got the fire beat out of him. For seven rounds, he got punched in the face, he got punched in the stomach, in the ribs, in the arms. Basically, he was bruised by George Foreman, this big bruiser. Foreman, every punch, it seemed like bad intentions. He's trying to take him out every single time. And In fact, Muhammad Ali just leaned up against the ropes for most of that fight and just was a human punching bag for seven rounds. He, he was just annihilated. I can't stress it anymore how much he was beat up. Anyone watching that fight knew if Foreman doesn't knock Ali out, Foreman is going to win win this fight just by decision unanimously because he is getting beaten up. All Ali's doing is leaning against the ropes and taking all these shots and getting beat up. And then came round eight. Round eight started out like much of the fight. Muhammad Ali backs up against the ropes. George Foreman starts punching him. But then something phenomenal happened. George Foreman had punched himself out. 
in fighting terms, it means he developed muscle fatigue in his arms and his chest and his back and his shoulders, and he almost couldn't hold his arms up anymore, and the punches he were throwing didn't have any power. And at the right moment, Muhammad Ali spun off of those ropes, threw the five-piece combo of all five-piece combos, and knocked George Foreman the blank out, right? And he wins the fight in dramatic fashion. It was a spectacular come around. You might be sitting here saying, what in the world does that have to do with the book of Malachi? The people of Israel were just like that, up against the ropes, getting constantly beat, constantly beaten. And Malachi gives the verse of the Lord to let them know, round eight is coming. God wins. Just hold on. God wins. And I love the imagery of Malachi, uh, of, excuse me, of Muhammad Ali leaning up against those ropes. Because in those ropes, I see Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Muhammad Ali, he just rested against the ropes. It was his strategy. I'll let the ropes hold me up. I'll take the bruising because I'm conserving energy. And when it's time to strike, I'm going to strike. And, I, man, just putting that, looking at that in juxtaposition with this scripture, I can't help but think, man, it may seem like we're losing. It may seem like the enemy is winning. But we have hope. You have hope if you trust in God. Don't lean on your own understanding. If you lean into him, lean into his word, lean into his promises, leaning to this truth that it may seem like the enemy is winning, but we still have hope. It may feel like life is kicking your butt, but don't, just don't forget that your round eight is coming. Round eight's coming for all of us. That in the end, God wins when we're on his team, his side. We win. There's nothing that he can't overcome. There's nothing that can separate us from him. In fact, Romans 8 says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? doesn't mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. As the scripture says, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory is yours through Christ who loves you. It might seem like evil is winning, that evil has God up against the ropes. It may look like that. But 2,000 years ago, God knocks evil out once and for all when Jesus rises from the dead. That's the good news, that because of him and what he's done, we can stand before him on that day and hear, not guilty, because Jesus won the battle for us. And the better news is we get to say yes to him not just for this get-out-of-hell-free card, but we get to say yes to him and enter into this life-changing relationship with him. It may seem like the enemy is winning, that evil is winning, but we have hope because God wins. Let's go back to Malachi 4, read the last couple verses. It says this in verse 4 of Malachi 4, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So the Old Testament ends with that word, curse. Kind of exciting, right? What a bummer. Like, really, God? That's the last thing you're going to say? But if you go back, you see he says so much more than that. In the first couple verses, he prophesies about Jesus, son of righteousness, coming with healing in his wings. Now, Malachi is actually prophesying about a guy we read in the New Testament named John the Baptist. Have you heard of him? John the Baptist. You can read about him in Matthew, beginning of Matthew, beginning of Luke. John the Baptist shows up, and like the prophet Elijah, who was way dead by the time Malachi wrote, 
prophet Elijah, you can read about him in 1 Kings, Elijah uh, did these great works. He was a wild man in his style. And basically Malachi is saying someone like that is going to come and he's going to prepare the way. He's going to preach and it's going to basically turn people back to the main thing. It's going to prepare us for Jesus. But if you don't obey the law and you don't listen to the preaching of this Elijah, God's saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to strike the land with a curse. So the Old Testament ends on that word, curse. And that's what sin brings. And every time we choose our way over God's ways, it never turns out like we expect. It never turns out good. And it didn't for the people of Israel, and it doesn't for us today. Sin always brings consequences. In fact, in Romans 6, 23, you can summarize the entire Bible. Romans 6, 23 says the wage of sin is death. That's the Old Testament summed up. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the gospel, the New Testament. So what we get out of that last passage of Malachi is this awesome truth, that sin doesn't have the final say because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. God sends someone ahead of Jesus. So ahead of Jesus and ahead of the day of the Lord, he sends someone to preach and prepare. And this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. Now, 400 years passed between Malachi 4, 5, and 6 and the ministry of John the Baptist. The entire book of Malachi, remember, this is the last prophetic book we get. It's written to denounce these hypocritical priests and to tell people they need to go all in and to to demand authentic worship from the people of God towards God. And the book ends with this promise that God is going to make a way. But for 400 years, God was silent. Why? Because the people didn't do what he said. They turned to themselves to try to fix their issues. They turned to their systems to try to fix the issues. They turned to the world systems to try to make things right. And so when God was silent, instead of turning to him, they turned inward. So for 400 years, nothing. The religious tried to deal with it on their own. Four groups of people, four cultural groups emerged in, in ancient Israel during that 400-year gap. Four types of people. The first group were called the Pharisees. I know you've heard of the Pharisees before. Jesus speaks harshly to almost no one in the Bible except for the Pharisees. He's really, really tough in his preaching and teaching to them. The Pharisees were zealous for God, but in their zeal, they created so many rules that it became impossible to keep those rules. And worst of all, the Pharisees would pile up a bunch of rules for everyone else to obey, but they weren't even willing to lift one finger to follow those rules. What would we call someone who has a bunch of rules for you to obey, but doesn't obey any of those rules? What would we call that person? A hypocrite, which for three weeks now, we've been here four weeks now, we've been hearing that really this is what God is confronting and challenging in the book of Malachi. So the Pharisees became very hypocritical in their zeal for God and their rules that they made a simple system so complicated with their rule keeping. Today, the Pharisees would be those who want to impose, impose the morality of God on people who aren't even godly. Or people who do want to follow Christ, they impose so many rules upon these people that it becomes impossible for them to live up. Remember a couple weeks ago, we gave you the equation of all equations, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the Pharisees said, no, if you want to have God, you need to have these 600 things and then these 400 things on top of that, and you can't mess up anything. And they constantly complicated this simple system. So the Pharisees tried to fill the gap, the 400-year gap, with rule-keeping. But 
they were hypocritical in their practices because the temple wasn't even really ready for them to worship the way God wanted to worship. Remember in Malachi 4, it said, remember to keep all the laws of Moses. And the Pharisees had long ago blown that in their ability and how they worship. That's the very hypocrisy that Malachi challenges to begin with. Second group of people who rose up, I think they're kind of the opposite of the Pharisees, and that were the zealots. The zealots rose up in this 400-year gap, and the zealots essentially believe that God wouldn't save them until they saved themselves. Have you ever heard that Bible verse that says God helps those who help themselves? I hope you haven't heard that because it's not in the Bible. So that was a trick question. I hope you haven't heard that verse. No, the, the zealots felt like until we just get up and do something on our own, God's not going to help us. So they thought, let's take up arms, especially against the Roman Empire, which came into being during that time. Let's take up arms and overthrow the government, and that'll usher in God's way. They were very militant in what they wanted to do. They tried to save the world via revolution. The Pharisees tried to save the world through rules. The zealots tried to save the world through revolution. The zealots would be a perfect match for social justice warriors today who want to feed the hungry and clothe clothe the naked, and they want to take care of the sick, but they do it all without the gospel. They do good works, but Jesus is nowhere involved in those good works. And I'm just telling you, we as the local church, everything we do is in the name of Jesus. We give water and bread and food in the name of Jesus. If we take the gospel out of our good works and our good action, or even take the gospel out of our political action, we become no different than any other nonprofit organization that's going around doing things. It's the Jesus stuff that sets us apart. So the zealots, they wanted a revolution. Third group that rose up, very interesting group of people, they were called the Essenes. The Essenes. And the Essenes, they couldn't stand the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and they couldn't stomach the, the warrior-like militant attitude of the zealots. So you know what they did? They said, deuces, and they went to the wilderness, and they lived in caves, and they had these perfect holy communes where everything was right and kumbaya and leave us alone. They isolated themselves from everyone else. Now, the good thing about the Essenes is they took with them the word of God, written word of God, and they wrote it, and they stuck it in these jars and saved it in caves, and Hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, we discovered that. So a lot of our archaeological history that we have to prove the Bible is real and true came from this group of hippies living out in the desert. They weren't really hippies, but that's just what I think of. It came from these hippies living in the desert called the Essenes. But the problem is, how can people who don't know God ever know him if we constantly hide ourselves away from him? How can messy people find the cleansing power of Jesus if all of the people who've been cleansed by Jesus don't want anything to do with the mess? That's what the Essenes did. They filled that 400-year gap by just going out and worshiping amongst themselves and doing their own thing. Final group is the Sadducees. Some, some of you walked in today and you might have been called a Sadducee uh, by, by someone at the Next Steps table. My bad. You just walked in on the back end of a funny conversation. Uh, but hey, if the shoe fits, well, I'm just playing. Uh, Sadducees, they were in love with the world. They loved nice things and, and the worldly systems and political systems, but they liked God. Did you hear the play on words? They loved the world, but they liked God. So they figured out a way, what if we can do just enough to be cool with the religious people, and just enough to be cool with the political people. And essentially, they developed this pseudo-spirituality that let them play on both sides of the fence. The Pharisees, excuse me, the Sadducees even found a way to make money off of the Roman system. That doesn't happen today, right? We haven't found a way to politicize and monetize our religion at all. Of course we have. These four different groups all had a different approach of how to fix 
the big problems that they had. Instead of running to God, they ran into themselves. And it's 400 years of hopelessness under that. And then one day, this voice in the wilderness calls out, prepare the way of the Lord. It's John the Baptist saying, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Here is the one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist shows up. And history can be repetitive. And we don't have the time to get into these categories of people. And I'm trying to not lose influence and throw people under the bus. But I can name denominations and churches and some of you by name and say, here's who you are in that category of those four people trying to do it on their own instead of resting in the hope. Withdrawn faction, the freedom fighters, the collaborationalists, the separatists, all of those groups. Jesus comes to save and says, you don't have to do it on your own anymore. You don't have to depend on the corrupt system. You don't have to keep worrying about when is God going to show up. You have to rest in the fact that he's going to do the work. We have hope in him because of the cross it's finished and we can trust in him. God never leaves us hopeless. Even though it may seem like we can't hear him or feel him and we look around and don't see anything that looks hopeful, we, the people of God, have to know we have hope in him. Why go all in? Why be and not just appear to be? Why honor God with our stuff, with our money? It's because we have hope in him and we can be filled with that hope even today. So what do we do? A couple more points and I'm done. What do we do? How do we live this out? First is this, in pain, in struggle and confusion, Just remember hope. Right now in your life, whatever you're going through, remember hope. That means I need to turn to God's word. What does God's word say about my situation? Find your hope in him. Don't believe the report of the news. Don't believe that doom and gloom is all that there is. Instead, wait a minute, what does God say about the situation? And turn to God's people. Kind of our our fleshly instinct when trouble comes is to isolate ourselves. But what we need to do is we need to run towards community when we're struggling. Because it's in that community that we find hope. We find stories like Lee's where, man, life was bad. Life beat him up. And look at the life he has in Jesus. And you know what? I've had similar trials. And maybe if I run towards him and run towards that community of people, it can help me overcome. So in pain, struggle, confusion, remember hope. And finally, when you see someone else, when you see others in pain, struggle, and confusion, share hope. Share the hope of Jesus. Don't give in to fear. Turn the conversation positive. Be an encourager. When everyone else wants to talk about the negative, when everyone else wants to focus on what's wrong, one church, let's be the people celebrating what's right. When someone's complaining to you about there's nothing to do in the community, what a great time to invite them to our Easter egg hunt. We got something for you to do. When people are complaining about, man, I feel alone, what a great time to invite them into community. And the person you know who's struggling, what a better time than to say, hey, I know someone who can help you with your struggles and you could share Jesus with that person. We all have a choice today. We can leave here the way we came in. Some of us came in heavy hearted. We came in hopeless. Or we can choose to accept this great free gift of God, not just salvation, which is awesome, but the promise and the comfort that knows we have hope in him. Even though it may seem like we can't hear God or feel God, we are never without hope because God never leaves us hopeless. Let's be people of hope today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you never leave us. God, you never forsake us, that you're with us, that you're for us, and that in you, God, we can do great things by your power. I pray for anyone in this room right now, God, who's struggling. They don't know you. They hear about all this Jesus stuff, and they chose to connect today with a local church. I pray right where they are, God, that they would have heard your word today 
and they'd make that decision to follow you. As simple as saying, God, forgive me. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've tried to do my own thing. I've tried to fill the silence with busyness. And God, today I'm going to choose to trust you. Forgive me and help me. And God, I know as they pray that in their own way, pray that right there from their soul. God, you'll save. You hear their heart cry. And you'll bring the healing that you promised to them. God, for the person here who's hopeless, who feels hopeless, God, who's struggling with whatever that life situation is, I pray that they would find peace in the Son of Righteousness rising with healing in His wings. God, that they would find hope and life in the finished work of Jesus. That they would trust in You. That they would trust in community. And God, for those of us here, God, who are on this journey, help us all to be people of hope. In a world full of negativity and in a world full of darkness, looking for answers, let us shine brighter than ever in this community. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for filling us with your spirit and your hope. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.